Man, it's, it's so good to gather with you and sing these songs. And I thought Joe was going to jump off the stage at one point, which would have been awesome to see. Um, I love our church. I love gathering with you for worship. I love singing these songs that remind us of the truth of Scripture and the truth of the good news of Jesus. And uh, I'm just, I'm glad you're here today. Are you, are you happy to be here today? Yeah. So um, here's the deal. Easter's a tough one. You would think it's easy for a pastor, but it's a tough one. There's a lot of pressure. I'm not going to like try to sidestep it. There's just a lot of pressure here. But, but I want you to know that the Easter story is all about God's love for you. So if you miss everything else, if I do a horrendous job for the next 20 30, 40 minutes, it won't be that long. <laughs> Don't miss this. God loved you so much that he sent his one and only son, Jesus, for you and for me. And anyone who would receive that, who would believe that to be true, would enter into a new kind of life, an everlasting, never-ending kind of life. And that is the good news of Easter. And come on, don't we need some good news today? So, yeah, if you're like me, um, I get up in the morning, I have, a, I have a routine, and I get up in the morning, coffee first. Anyone else? Coffee first. I got my coffee going. I actually make it the night before, and I have a little scheduler on my coffee machine, so it's ready to go. I get my cup of coffee, put my sugar, my cream in there. I sit down in the same chair every morning. I sit down in my chair. My dog comes over, Annie Mae. She's Southern. She comes over, puts her paws up on my chair so I can scratch her ears. I scratch her ears. She then lays at my feet. I have one person who loves me in this world. It's awesome. <laughs> and, um, and then I do a little personal time, quiet time, uh, just kind of try to get my mind right. And then I make the same mistake so many of us make in the morning. I open my news feed. Yes, amen. I open the news feed on my iPad that I'm sitting in my chair with, and I start scrolling through endless stories. And here's the deal. I don't know if you know this, but it's true. We have, in today's world, I, I'm, I remember years ago when I was a kid, the news came on basically twice a day. We now have a 24-hour news cycle that feeds on not good news. It actually feeds on bad news. And we need some good news. We need good news to give us a new way to be human in this world. And that is what the Easter story is all about. It's this good news that God has done something for us that we cannot do on our own. It's found, Jesus said it. He said, look, uh, God loved the world so much. I mean, I just shared it with you. God loved the world so much that he sent his only son. Jesus was saying me. And anybody who would receive this or believe it, and that word, anyone, is important. Everyone. Like, this is for everyone. No one is excluded from the good news. How great is that? We live in a world that loves to exclude people. We exclude people. Come on, be honest. You're in church. God knows. We exclude people. We think to ourselves, well, they're in because they are like me or they believe like me or they think like me, but they're out over there. But in God's economy, the good news is for everyone. No one excluded. And I love this next part. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world, not to condemn the world, 
but to save the world. Now that should make you smile on this Easter Sunday. How good is that? That God didn't send his son into the world to point his finger and say, you, 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 you. God sent his son into the world to save it, to redeem it, to save you and to save me. And friends, I don't know what you've been up to or what you've been doing or what you've been thinking, but that is good news for every single one of us. Because listen, we're a mess. Like, don't nudge the person next to you right now, because then they're not going to want to sit next to you at Easter lunch. But we're a mess, aren't we? I mean, left to our own devices and our own ways, we just make a mess of things. And we need someone to enter into the story. Now, I realize that the Easter story, in many ways, uh, goes against the modern mind. It, it, it kind of works against what we've been taught and the, the flow of our society. I thought, you know, Easter wouldn't be Easter without a good N.T. Wright quote. N.T. Wright's a great scholar. He's uh, British, and so I wish I could speak with his accent. It would make this sermon a lot better. But uh, N.T. Wright says this, Everything pivots around the complex event that had happened. The Messiah died, he was buried, he was raised, and he was seen. Everything Everything pivots on this. Take this away and Christianity, let's just be clear, Christianity collapses. If this is not true, then we might have some great moral teachings, we might be better people, but Christianity as a faith falls apart. But you put this in its proper place, this story, the Easter story, you put it in the right place and everything changes. Everything changes. And my hope for you and for me is that we would begin to allow this story to be planted in our hearts and our minds so that we would experience a better kind of life than we can experience on our own. And listen, I think we could all admit from time to time that we pursue paths in life that we think are going to bring some fulfillment but end in despair, regret, and disappointment. Come on, if you're honest. Isn't that true? You've pursued some things in life that didn't end up being what you thought they would be? Anyone? Yeah. And this story, planted in the right place in our hearts and mind, has uh, the, the ability the, to, to change, to transform everything for us. So Paul was one of the very first Christians, and Paul wrote a lot of the New Testament that we have, a lot of the, the letters that we have there, and he was trying to help people understand how faith and life come together and where we fit into the story. And here's some good news. You fit into the story. And Paul writes it in Colossians. Here's what he says in Colossians. God in all of his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. In other words, God in every bit of God, if you can imagine this, God was dwelling in Christ. Christ was God, right? Are you with me? All of him. And through him, through Christ, God reconciled everything to himself. Look, if you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. Jesus is the image, the perfect image of the invisible Father. He, he is the one who gives us a picture, a perfect picture of who God is and how he, he interacts with people. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. Now, this word reconciled is an interesting word. If you're as old as me, some of you are older. You remember we had these checkbooks, and in the back of the checkbook, we had to reconcile 
the checks that we wrote and how much money we had in the bank. Come on, does anybody remember this? You youngsters, you have no idea how difficult it was to keep track of our money. And if you're type A, like a one on the Enneagram like me, you would get there and you'd be like, two cents, Where is who stole my two cents? <laughs> like someone took two cents from my account, I can't get it reconciled. Reconciled means kind of to reset or to equal. God, this is the good news, God set you back, reset you with him, even though you were the one who made a mess. And just so you don't miss it, he goes on. And he says this, this includes you. See, I told you you were in the story. This includes you. You were once far away from God. You were enemies separated from him by your evil thoughts and your actions. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. Now, listen, I, like you, I'm like, I'm not that bad. I mean, enemy is a strong word. You know what I mean? Like, I'm pretty good. There's people who are definitely worse than me. I'm not talking about you. I'm just I'm saying there's some people who are worse than me. And so the concept of, God, really, I'm not your enemy. And God would say, I mean, this is strong language, but anything evil in your mind and your heart puts you on a path that moves you away from me. There's some separation there. And that makes sense to us in any kind of relationship in this world. If you have a spouse, if you have a child, anything that you say or anything that you think that drives you to act in a certain way that really doesn't take their best interest in mind moves you away from them. And God said, I've done everything to set you back in harmony, unity with me. And then he finishes by saying this, as a result, he has brought you into his own presence and you are holy and blameless. You are holy and blameless as you stand before God. Come on, that is good news. When God sees you, he sees Jesus. Yeah, when God sees you, because of what Christ accomplished, he sees Jesus. And that's good news for all of us because we are a bit of a mess. Now, I know our modern minds, this is really difficult. The idea that Jesus died, that he was resurrected, and in some mysterious way, this brings us life. Like, this goes against the modern mind. We are taught that we have to prove everything. The scientific theory. Anybody? The scientific theory. Prove it. If you can't prove it, it's not true. Now, this idea of life coming from death, even though it's difficult for us when it comes to the story of Jesus, it's built into the fabric of our everyday lives. Go with me for just a second. I have a, um, in my backyard, I have a fruit tree. Anybody got a fruit tree in your backyard? Every now and then, a piece of fruit falls off, a little seed gets out. The ground, not very often, but the ground every now and then is wet, and it receives the seed into it, and all of a sudden, I've got a whole new problem in my backyard. I have these sprouts that I can't get rid of. A seed, which was dead, comes to life, and I can't kill it. Are you with me? Anybody? See, it's built into the fabric of our lives. Let me ask you this. Um, you can talk at this point. What's your favorite food that you're looking forward to on your Easter table today? What are you looking forward to? Ham. ham. Okay, I heard ham. I think it was ham, not spam. Ham. Okay. <laughs> ham. So ham, your favorite food. Ham. What, uh, what else? Caramel. Rolls? Caramel rolls? That sounds... Can I come to your house? That sounds awesome. Caramel rolls. What else we got? Anything over here? Easter bread is good. 
mac and cheese, homemade. Yeah, you don't need the box thing, craft, no, no, homemade mac and cheese. Now listen, um, I have friends who are all inclusive when it comes to the, the Easter table, right? So meat, ham, whatever's on the table, they're going to eat it. Anybody? Yeah. And then I've got some friends in the room who are plant-based people, like only plant. Look at it, they're cheering. Like you guys, plant-based. And um, everything's, regardless, most of the foods that we eat, which provide the sustenance we need, the nutrition we need, whatever it is that we're eating had to die for us to have life. Are you here? Are you with me? Does that make sense? Whether it's a plant or an animal, it had to be removed from its life source in order to provide in us what we need to have life in this world. Come on. Somebody got it. Now, we get, when it comes to food, we get it. But in a real and mysterious way, this is true about Jesus as well. Jesus' death brings us life. I know it goes against the modern mind, but there is something beautiful about this story. His death brings us life, and his resurrection is a foreshadowing of what's to come. It gives us hope for the future, even in moments of despair and in pain. Um, I was reading, I told you, I, like I open the news every now and then, which is a terrible mistake, but I was reading in the Wall Street Journal um, an article and it caught my attention because every now and then there's a quote that comes back. It's from the 1600s, uh, Blaise Pascal. You remember Blaise Pascal? Maybe you, in um, one of your classes you had to study. And um, he was a mathematician and theologian and philosopher. He did all these different things. But he wrote, the, he wrote this. There is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of each of us which cannot be satisfied by any created thing but only by God the Creator made known through Jesus. Now, he was writing, trying to help us understand that there is a deep longing within each one of us. And most of us work to fill that longing with something in this world. And what Blaze was, we're on first name basis, what he was suggesting was that that deep desire that each one of us has is actually a desire to know, to be known, and to be loved by a creator and it cannot be filled by anything else we pursue in life. And what's interesting about that is so many people in this room, if you think about it, you could probably testify to that truth. That something you've pursued in this world and you thought was going to bring great meaning and fulfillment actually left you feeling a little empty. Uh, I was talking to uh, a friend a few years ago and it was interesting because he had worked so hard. Uh, he had worked his way along the, the golf tours, and he'd worked his way up to the professional tour, the, the PGA tour, and he had won his first event. So I was asking him, I had some questions for him, like, what's it like? And he was like, first of all, it's awesome. Of course. And I was like, but what was it like, like standing there? You won, like, a golf tournament with the best in the world. What was that like? And he said, Matt, you know what's interesting is he said, I was standing here and I was receiving a trophy for winning this golf tournament. And I had worked my whole life to get to this, this point. And he said, out of the corner of my eye, as I was receiving the trophy, I noticed that some people, some workers had begun to take down the stands behind us. And he, he said, I realized that this thing that I'd worked so hard for 
was quickly going to be gone, and I had to go play again next week somewhere else where I wasn't the best. And I thought, that's, that's exactly what Pascal is saying, that there is something within us, a, 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 an emptiness, a hole, a vacuum that can only be filled by the Creator and His love for us. And I began to think, and this is where I'm going to step on some of your toes. This is exactly why some men, like me, give more at the office than we give at home. I knew it was going to get quiet when I said that. And here's why. It's because we believe if we can be successful in what we pursue in our vocation, it will bring some sort of meaning that will fill the void that is within us. And the Easter story reminds us that there's only one thing that can fill that void. It's why some of us, both women and men, pursue health and beauty in all sorts of ways. And it's not that all those things are bad per se, it's just that they are not going to fulfill the deepest longing within each one of us. And here's the deepest longing. It's to be known and fully loved, to be accepted for who we are. And the cross of Easter and the empty tomb of Resurrection Sunday is God's way of saying, I'm good with you. And all those pursuits in life, listen, it's why some of us as parents, I mean, I could keep adding stories. I don't want to step on too many toes. But it's why some of us as parents, we live vicariously through our children and we think their success in some way is going to fulfill a deep need that we weren't able to achieve as kids. Come on. You want me to keep going? <laughs> but you know what I'm saying. Some of us believed that if we could just find the person and get married, everything would be good, like we would be fulfilled. And we got into that relationship and we realized there's still a deep longing within us that can't be filled by any human relationship. It's the, it's the need to be known and fully loved. Jesus talks about death and resurrection. He talks about his death and his resurrection, and he talks about our death and our resurrection, and he calls us to let go, to turn away, to renounce. He uses a lot of different words, to confess, to repent, and to leave behind the old ways. Jesus continually says, by dying to our egos, by dying to ourselves, we can find a different kind of life. But it takes death to get to life. Come on, it takes death to get to life. And Jesus was willing to lay down his life so that we could find life. Um, he goes on. He says he talks of the life that will come from his own death, and he promises that life will flow to us in thousands of small ways as we die to our egos, our pride, our need to be right, our self-sufficiency. And right now, he's just talking to me and my problems. Our rebellion, our stubborn insistence that we deserve to get our own way. Now listen, if you've ever been married or you've ever had kids, you know this is true. Come on, you know it's true that when you die to your ego, you have a better marriage. Is, that, is it true? That when you quit des, uh, demanding your own way, that relationship with your spouse gets better. This is true in all of life. Jesus says it is death that will lead to life. And I know it goes against our modern minds but it's what he calls us to. He says this, Jesus, if you cling to your life, you will lose it. Jesus says all kinds of things that make us wonder and think. If you cling to your life, you will lose it. Like if you hold on to your own way, 
your self-sufficiency, your ego, all of those things, if you hold on to that, you're going to lose your life. But if you give up your life for me, in other words, if you exchange your life for my life, you'll actually find life. I mean, this is the invitation of Easter. It's to find life in Jesus, not in what you do, not in what you achieve, none of those things. Um, it's, it's 40 years ago this year. I was just thinking about this the other day. I, um, 1982, I was uh, in my bedroom. We had a tri-level house on Burning Tree Lane. And I was in my bedroom on the upper level. And uh, one night, my parents came into my bedroom. And I remember, for the very first time, saying yes to God. I remember I was emotional. I, I mean, I was a little kid. I don't know why I was emotional. I didn't fully understand what I was doing. I had this idea that God loved me, and I just wanted to say yes to that. And my parents walked me through that, and I made this decision. And um, when I'm in my skeptical moments, like some of you, I think to myself, was I just emotional? Did it, my parents manipulate me into a decision? You know, all those kind of things that we think. I mean, when you're honest, I know you're sitting in church, like when you're honest, you know, you think all these things. But I will tell you this, that from that moment, when I first said yes to Jesus, it really did change the trajectory of my life. It didn't make everything better. Something took root in my heart and in my mind in that first decision that has led to a series of decisions that I think I've, I've, I've found a better life than I could ever find on my own. And I think back to that moment, I'm so thankful that someone encouraged me to say yes to God's love. And I've realized as important as that one moment was, as I'm getting older, I'm learning how important that moment is every single day, sitting in my chair, to say yes to God's way of life rather than my way of life. And I want to encourage you this Easter, not just to hear the good news, to celebrate this story, and then to go eat your lunch um, which is going to be great, but to say yes to God again this year, whether it's for the first time, the second time, or the hundredth time. Now, um, you're going to get to hear some stories of some people who have said yes to God, and we're going to do this thing called baptism, which is a beautiful picture of uh, exchanging Christ's life and our life. So go down into the water. It's kind of like sharing in his death. Coming back out of the water is like sharing in his life. I'm a new person. Um, and as you hear these stories and witness these baptisms, I want to encourage you to consider your yes to God this year. God, um, we've remembered that incredible story, which sometimes doesn't make sense it kind of works against the modern mind. We've remembered, we've um, reflected, we've thought a little bit about how that might interact with our lives today. And God, in these moments, as we hear a few stories and as we witness baptism, we sing uh, some songs of worship, we pray that um, your truth, your good news, your life would be planted in our hearts and our minds. God, we receive your love and your grace and your mercy today. And we pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen.